Glory to God. He's good tonight, is he not? Man, man, I tell you what, I've come, I've been to church, that worship, and what those two ladies just shared, and man, I'm, I'm, I've been to church. Amen? God is good, and he's good in the house. You know, what, what, what Sandra just said about the tithe, you know, I, you know, I thought about this. As she was saying that, just the scripture just came to me where it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 3, you can, you can give to feed the poor, you can give all your possessions, all those kind of things, give your body to be burned. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean your body being singed by fire, but giving of yourself to where you're almost in a place of burnout. You know, just giving, giving, giving of yourself. You can do all that and have not love it profits nothing. So if the motive isn't right for what you do, it profits nothing. If you give out of fear, if you give, like she said, trying to get God to do something, you know, it profits nothing. Profits nothing. It's like, it's like after... All the years that I've been a tither, it's like, I, and, and a giver, I, I just get excited about giving, you know? I mean, I can't, I, it's like I can't live without doing it. It doesn't matter if anybody, everybody else on the planet quit doing it. I do, I'll do it for the rest of my life, but it can't be done out of an obligation. It can't be done out of a, out of a guilt trip because God loves a what type of a giver? A cheerful a prompt-to-do giver whose heart is in what he does. You know? And that's why we're all, we, we stay on the journey with God's Word because of what evolves in us our whole life. You know? Where would you be today without the Word? Where would you be in your life today without the Word? What could have happened to you without the protection of God and that revelation understanding of His angels and His protection and all the things that He did. What could have happened? What, could have, what, what things could have happened to family members of yours or people, friends of yours that you know that all of a sudden because of the Word you pray for and believe God for and those guys? What could have happened? What could have happened? What things behind the scenes that the enemy have set up for your life that, that his, his ploy was stopped? Because of the presence of God in His Word. I mean, let's just thank Him right now. Amen? Let's just thank Him right now. Ha! Oh, God, we thank You today. We thank You for Your greatness and Your goodness. Your greatness and Your goodness, Lord. How awesome that You are. Lord, how awesome that You are. That You would allow us to to peek into your infinite wisdom and revelation and understanding and let us be partakers of your divine nature and your way of thinking. You've allowed us to become part of that. Wow. 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 Glory to Jesus. Lord, we bless you tonight. We thank you. Lord, we cast every care tonight in the name of Jesus. We cast off every care. Glory to God. Say this after me. I 
You ready? <laughs> Say it again. I, I like myself. Jeez, why did he have you say that? I don't know. I just heard that so clear. Say it again. I, I like myself. Like myself. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, Pastor, you don't. No, no, no. But for the grace of God, we're all toast. Amen? But for the grace of God, we're toast. We're burned up. But because of the grace of God, we can like ourselves. And I promise you, you will never love other people with that God kind of love that causes you to profit if you don't love yourself. And you'll never love yourself till you like yourself. So when you look at yourself in the mirror tonight, tomorrow morning, Tell yourself, I like you. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's not even my message. <clears throat> so, I have a whole new series tonight that's probably going to take six months. <clears throat> okay. Glory to Jesus. There's going to be a bunch of different little parts to this, this message, but um, you're going to like this. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture tonight in the short period of time that we have. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, but you're going to like this. Um, in, in this place, we've built foundation in people, and we'll continue to build foundation. That's what we're about. That's what we'll always do. Um, we're about the great commission, the great commandment. Love God and love people and make disciples. We're about that. And the Bible says that very clearly. Matthew 28, um, Matthew 28 and Matthew 22 talk about the great commission is making disciples. Matthew 22 is the great commandment about loving God and loving people. And these two commandments hang everything. We don't know how, we don't understand the love of God, and we don't know how to love people, then other things won't work out. But that begins as we begin to understand how much God loves us. When you realize what God has done for you, it's, it's a whole lot easier to love unlovable people. Because the Bible's real clear, it's really not profitable in our lives just. It's good to love people that love you, but it's not good and it's not profitable for us just to love people that are good to us. It's easy to do that. It doesn't take faith to love people that aren't very kind. Right? Right? And that's true. And so we'll we'll continue to do as Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 says. Luke 6 and 46. And Jesus said here, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and he does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, 
And when the flood arose, everybody say, when the flood arose. Not if the flood arose, but when it arose, right? The stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was what? Founded on the rock. Many of you sitting in here today, because of the Word, have had, have had streams and storms beat against your house because of the Word. But the Bible is very clear that God will not allow anything to come your way that you're not able to handle. So if it's come your way, it's because God saw fit that you could handle that and it came your way because He thought that much of you. Sometimes we don't look at it like that. He thought a lot of me of having to go through what I went through or, the, or battled this thing or that thing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing will come your way. God won't allow things to happen that you're not able to handle. Some people say, well, you know, those kind of things have never come against me. Well, duh, you couldn't handle it. So God really wants us to not shy away from trials and tribulations and things that beat against us because things beat against the righteous and the unrighteous, right? Because he says here, but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. We're here at Gates to build houses that stand. Amen? That's what we're here for. We're here to build houses that stand. Disciple people with the power of God's Word. For people to understand what it is, what it means to to, to follow through with what Jesus left us. The two things that were most important to Him was the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And those weren't options. They were commission and a command. Amen? So Matthew 4, and this kind of just gets in. I'm just going to go as far as I can because like I said, i got six months, so we're not in a hurry. Matthew 4. So, from a place of foundation, Jesus said this. Matthew 4 and verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting... uh, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Tonight, the title of my message is Finding the Lost. Finding the lost. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um, When I was, uh, just a a, a little story before I came to Kerrville. When When I was in Kerrville, in ministry, but I was in business, owned my own business. And <clears throat> the last five years that I was actually in business before I came here, um, 
I had an automotive detail business that was very, very busy. Never had a slow day in five years. Made lots of money at it. Worked all the time. Worked When the sun was out and the sun was up, I was working. So I kind of liked the winter because I had a little more time because I couldn't work when you couldn't see. And, uh, but when, when the sun was out, I was working. And for five years, I ran that business and I was in church five days a week in the church that I was in, Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was in church for five years, all the time, never missed unless I was out of town. I was there. I loved it. I was there because I wanted to be there. Worked five and a half days a week, nonstop. I don't know how we fit it in. We just did. But as I... In that time, as I fed on the Word, as I was giving out, opportunities were given to me to share, and I became um, a head over cell group ministry that we had in different homes. They put me in charge of that. I don't know what I was doing, but they put me in charge of it. And, uh, but I, but I, knew how to, I knew how to minister and evangelize. And, uh, and we started doing that, and lots of people got saved. I mean, just by the droves, people got, I mean, we just tripped over salvations. People just, we just say, you ever met Jesus? No, and they just fall down and want to get saved. I mean, it was just like that. It was just everywhere we went, people got saved and born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And um, I was <clears throat> working at all these car dealerships. I had about 16 car dealerships that I worked at. And one of them, the, son, the owner's son, <clears throat> was of a denomination, a Christian denomination, and they didn't believe in people that talked in tongues. And they didn't like people that prayed in other tongues. And, you know, just because they had stuff built up or whatever. But, but I got connected with his son. <clears throat> and his son came to my, my Bible study at my house, and he got born again, truly born again. And then he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and oh my gosh. It's in all kinds of tidal waves through his family and business and the whole thing. But long story short, <clears throat> his dad was giving him the business, and he told his dad one day, he said, you know what? People in the dealership, they're going to hell. You know? <laughs> if he had asked me that, I said, you know, don't, don't tell your dad quite that yet. You know, just let's, let's don't ruffle all the feathers. But he just went for the jugular. And he said... Uh, and he said, <clears throat> Bert knows how to do it. And he said, I want to make it mandatory that at the end of the day, everybody is a Chrysler dealer. Everybody in the dealership will come to 30 minutes at the end of work and sit and listen to what I have to say. Well, I didn't know he told his dad this. You know, he just dreamed it up. And then he came to me and he says, would you do it? And I go, well, what does your dad think? He said, he doesn't like it, but I want to do it anyway. He's giving me the business. He says he's turning it over to me. And I think it's more important that these people know about Jesus than it is about selling cars. And I said, all right, we'll see how that goes. Whew. Anyway, so they shove us like sardines in this little bitty room. And there's about 75 people in a room that seats 30. And me. And so it's like, I'm standing up and we're like this, you know, and everybody's just like in each other's face until we got in. Some reason they, you know, ordered a different room the next time we met. <clears throat> but 
for two years, I ministered to these people. And at first, everybody was mad. I mean, furious that they were, it was mandatory. They had to sit and listen to something that this punk kid had to say. What does he know? But as a result of that, over about a five-year period of time, I'd already left and moved up here. Probably in five years, if they had 250 employees, which I think they did, in all their dealerships, about 150 to 180 of those guys, those people were born again. And the dad, after he got over being furious for a number of years, truly got born again. The dad did. And then he made it mandatory for every car they sold, they gave a Bible away. Think about that. I don't know how many, I don't, I don't think they do it today, but I don't know how many years that happened. Think of all the people as a result of that that got born again and their lives were touched and there's no way to know the effects of that just because, why? Because I got a hold of something and the revelation that God made me a fisher of men. He put me on the planet to fish for men. There's all kinds of ways. And, and the Bible is so clear about how to fish for people and how to connect with people. But it's more about just trying to pull someone in. It's, a, it's about changing a person's thinking. It's about, it's about the great commission and the great commandment in operation the way that Jesus did it. And that's what I want to talk about in and out of, of the next six months probably. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. They're going to focus, not overly focus, but focus a good portion about how we're to live our lives out there. What God intended for the church and the body of Christ to understand about living out there. And I have, I've over the last year, you know, you know how I am, I'm not going to teach something that I'm not already doing. And over the last year or so, I've been passionate about allowing the evangelistic, the, the, you know, the Bible's real cl- clear that Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And that's not a five-fold ministry evangelist that he was talking about, but to evangelize, be prepared in season and out of season, be ready to evangelize people's lives. And I did that for years and years, and there's times in the ministry as a pastor that some of that can get, kind of get shut down. Well, in the last year, I've really purposed that my focus is on people and connecting with people the way Jesus did. It's not just connecting with people. But it's connecting with them in a way that he engaged. Everybody say engaged. Say it again. God is calling us to engage people. And we're going to talk about the reasons and the purposes why over the next weeks and months. And, and we're, we, we are, as a body, we're going to do better at engaging people 
And, and not just a few of us, but all of us. How many want to do the will of God in your life? Okay? First and foremost, you're a minister of reconciliation, reconciling people back to God. That's what we're all on the planet for. And what I'm going to share with you over the next few months is about how to do that and accomplish it. If it was most important to God when He commissioned us, if that was the, thing, the last thing that He said and left us with, we should be very focused and in tune with doing that, would you say? Amen? Okay. So, um, <clears throat> so, we're going we're gonna to talk about engul- engaging culture different cultures and uh, you know in 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 my upbringing in the church um, I spent a lot of time with people that were drug addicts early on and the churches I was associated the two churches I was associated with before I came here they wanted to use me because I came out of drugs so, so he came out of drugs so he can relate to a drug guy. But you know, I really didn't relate to those drug guys. And you know what's funny? Jesus wasn't a druggie. Amen. And he could relate to the drug guys. He wasn't a drunk, and he could relate to the drunks. He wasn't a liar or a cheater, and he could relate to the liars and cheaters. Why? Because of the Holy Ghost inside of him. See, so Jesus left the culture of streets of gold to dirt roads in Rome. (laughs) Huh? He left one environment and engaged in another environment. God's called us out of our comfort zones in one environment and to learn how to engage in other environments. If you're afraid of an environment, there's a good possibility that in the next few months, God's going to lead you into other environments that you're not comfortable with. Now hear me when I say this, okay? Hear, Hear what I'm saying. If you're three weeks out of the bars... God's not leading you back to the bars. Not right now. Okay? you got to get the bar out of you. Or whatever. What, I'm just using bars and whatever example. You know, if you're, th- if you're th- three weeks off of heroin, He's not going to lead you back to all the guys hooked on heroin. Okay? you got to get the heroin out of your system and your life and and the dependency and what that did for you to release and bring release to your life. You need that out of you, and you need confidence in God before you go back there. But there's lots of other worlds that you can step into. And that's where we got to be sensitive. And that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Jesus engaged in cultures that the religious world 
wouldn't touch. Jesus engaged in cultures that religion would not mess with. Think about that as we talk. When Jesus was on earth, there were two groups of people that that flocked him. And there were other groups that avoided him like the plague. But the two groups that flocked to him were kids and sinners. Everywhere he was, they were around him. Children, young people, and sinners. And, and for the sake of all that we're going to talk about this over, over time, what is a sinner? A sinner is a non-believer. Okay? Sin is when you know to do and you don't do. But a sinner is a non-believer. Everybody say non-believer. Somebody that doesn't believe, right? It's a non-believer. So when we relate to people, I really thought a lot, what what I'm sharing with you, I've really thought a lot about this. In, In relating to people, we've got to learn how to step out of fear because there's, there are a lot of times that there are people that you think you can't relate to and you're afraid of them. And, and we, we could sit here tonight and if everybody was gut honest and really talked about different groups or cultures of people that make them afraid or they're afraid of, and when I say afraid, that you're, that you're timid to step into that world, there'd be all different kinds of reasons. You know, there's racial reasons, there's racial boundaries and barriers that are set up that keep people from crossing over certain racial lines. And there's all, and there's all these reasons why. And, and do you know how many people in their mind think that the person that they're afraid of racially, most of the time that person doesn't even think the way they think that person thinks. They're just afraid. Why? Because of what they've been told. Well, you know, you're one color of skin and you don't go on that side of the track. You're another color of skin and you don't go and spend time with those people because they're all that and you're nothing. Both ends of the spectrum, people have things built up. I'm telling you, in the days ahead, as a church, as a group of people, God's teaching us today and on how to step out of the zone of fear and into great faith and be able to touch and minister to people that you never thought you would. One of the reasons that I believe that people's needs aren't met is because they're so focused on themselves. And God didn't intend for us to, 
to focus on ourself and, and deal with ourselves. God didn't focus for us to fix and, and handle and toil for our own needs and things to be met. He's already met our needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What He's commanded us to do is take care of His business, which is people. And he's commanded us to help people and disciple people, see people born again, but see people want to be born again because of who God is in us. Who is God in me today? Who is God in you today? People need to see the God in you and want it. That's how we touch it. Um, Jesus, you know, he, he was relevant. He, he was relevant, and he walked with people, but it didn't affect him. And, and, and a lot of times, people think that for you to touch another person's life, that you have to compromise and come down to their level. And I think there's been some misunderstanding through the years, really knowing what it means to have passion and compassion for people, but not compromise. Um, Jesus spent time with drunkards, but he was never drunk, right? He, he, he spent time with liars and cheaters, like I was saying earlier. He had great compassion for prostitutes, but he, he, he never, not once, ever, didn't hold true to his moral convictions, ever. So in other words... The reason he wanted to be around sinners, the reason he wanted to be about around unbelievers, is because he had something that would influence them. And nothing that was on sinners influenced Jesus in a negative way. And I'm telling you today, we've got the same Holy Ghost that he does, and those things shouldn't influence us. See, we can go into the world and affect people's lives and not let that influence contaminate us, but we're there to, if you want to use the word, we're there to contaminate their mess and clean it up. And God intended for you and I to live that way and to be those kind of people. And you know, as a result of that, you know what Jesus was called? He was called a friend of sinners. And yet, and yet, <laughs> he was called a friend of sinners, and that, today that would offend some people. And it did then. It made the Pharisees and the Sadducees furious. So,
in Luke 15, I'm going to read a lot out of this in the next few months. I'm just kind of laying some foundation for you about what what we're going to talk about. In Luke 15, in verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. They flocked to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. One translation said they moaned. Saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Oh my gosh. He eats with them. And you know, in, in, in the small account that we have of Jesus' three and a half years of ministry, we can see they watched everything he did, the religious people, They held him accountable for everything that he said. They came against him from every direction, trying to trip him up. And you know what? That same kind of thing happens today. Instead of them hearing what he was saying, the good news... They wanted to trip him up on some technicality so they could bring some accusation against him and stop his ministry. Why? Because he was effective. He was effective. They accused him of receiving sinners and eating with him, meaning that he went where they were. And I really want us to think in the next few weeks and months, I really want us to think about this as we live our lives. I'm giving you something that I want you to really meditate on as, as, as you live your life day to day. This isn't something, I'm not sharing something with you that is some mechanical thing about trying to get somebody saved. We're not trying to do anything, we're doing it. God wants you to be in a doing position, not trying to do something. Not working and laboring at it, but doing it. Amen? We're doers of His Word. Amen? So, there's a verse of Scripture in... um, In Matthew 23, there was a lot of times that Jesus was really hard on these people. Watch what he says here. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. You see, these these Pharisees, they were evangelistic. But their evangelistic motives were wrong. And in fact, many of the accusers 
when Jesus was arrested in the garden and taken into the temple and, and was held accountable for his actions and the people that falsely accused him, many of those accusers that falsely accused him were converts of the Pharisees. And they would train them kind of just like a cult. They would train them to do what the Pharisees wanted. You back us up, you do whatever we tell you to do. So when we tell you to lie, you lie. So he's a convert, and that's what Jesus was accusing him of here. You've made them, you, you've taken these guys in, and you've made them sons of hell. See, Jesus, Jesus' whole mission, and the reason they called him a friend of sinners, is because he went into situations and he became what he needed to become to them, but he never compromised. He never let their lives affect his life. His life affected theirs. And, he, and, it, and it liberated people. That's why the Pharisees were so angry and so mad and looking in every direction to try to trip them up. And see, today, today even in Christendom, in the religious world of Christianity, there's so many people that you come across that are, that are in this thing called church to try to just build by numbers for a specific purpose to make what someone else is doing better. When Jesus' whole focus on humanity was to disciple them so that they'll follow after Him and love Him and do what He wants and that they can live their lives in helping to liberate other people. So it's not, it's, not, it's not about you and I building the church. Jesus said, I'll build my church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Jesus cannot build the church with sinners. Our part is the great commission and the great commandment. Our part is to be friends of sinners. Now these Pharisees that went around and watching every word, looking at everything, every action, everywhere he showed up, I mean they knew it when he was in some sinner's home, some tax collector's home, some liar and cheat, some prostitute's home, whatever. Everywhere he was, they knew where he was and they were looking to trip him up. So here's a question. If they were following you around, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving this to you just to think. If they were following you and me around, what would they be accusing us of? <laughs> but let me ask you this. Would they see us Spending, and, and listen, I'm all about the church. I'm about building the church. But God's building the church, and we're making disciples. Anybody in here been discipled in this place? Have you been discipled by the Word in this place? If you have, lift your hand. If you've been discipled at all in this place by the Word, okay? All right? So, we understand the purpose of the church, but evangelizing and going after the lost is not just 
to bring people into the church. The people will come into the church. If we're doing our job here, which we are, the people will come to the church. But they won't come until they find a friend. And they said, and he was accused of being a friend to sinners. So if they're following you around, would they accuse you of being a friend of sinners? Just think about it. Till I ask my next question. But I got to (laughs) stop. So, um, back in Luke 15, and I'll, I'll just, for tonight, I'll end with this. Back in Luke 15. <clears throat> verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, I don't have time to go into it tonight, but I'm just going to say this. You can look at that story as Is the glass 99% full or is it 1% empty? You can look at it from the different perspective there. But Jesus' focus was on the 1% empty. Now that doesn't seem, you know, politically correct. We should be, or or, or motivationally correct, we should be focused on the 99% full. But he's focused on the 1% that's not there, right? And what we've got to understand and where we've got to come in the church is realizing that that one that it looks like we shouldn't go after, why should we go after the one? Why should we go after one? Why should we go after somebody out there when where all of our attention and our focus needs to be is on in here? Now see, we're a church body, and we know the importance of one another. We're not, we're, not, we're not taken away from that. We know the importance of what's going on inside the house. But if all we do is stay focused on inside the house, and we're not focused out there, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're not fulfilling the Great Commandment to love people and to be a friend of sinners. You understand when I say that, You don't spend your time, all your time, fellowshipping and connecting with people that are not born again. You spend enough time with people so that you can learn to appreciate how bound up and in bondage people are. So that you can have passion and compassion for people in praying for them and helping them and being there for them. And I'm telling you, what happens is when we get involved in the lives of people outside here, and, and we get more involved and aware of people around us, we get our focus and our eyes off ourselves. And that's what God intended. Well, Pastor, but you know, if we, if we don't take care of everybody inside the church, everybody, you know, everybody will leave. 
No? No, I don't think so. I think if you stay focused on the inside, people leave. I think when you stay focused out here and you do what he said, and everybody's after their one, and we stay focused on the one, then it helps to build the morale of the individual person. It's not about just the one coming in here. They'll come. They'll come. I'm not saying it's not important. It's important. But that's not the motive. The motive isn't to build the church. He's building the church. The motive is to do the great commission and the great commandment and stay with it and don't back off from it. You understand? And then we stay built up because you were meant to be ministering to somebody. You were meant to bring somebody along. And so, in the days and weeks ahead, we're going to talk about, we're, just going, to, we're going to have some, some of you as actors up here, and we're just going to talk about, just naturally, how to talk to people. Some people don't know how to talk to people. Some people don't know how to connect with other people, and especially people that don't think like you do. And I'm telling you, some of the greatest rewards and victories in your life will come when you start stepping out and connecting yourself with people that don't think like you do. And especially people that are not believers. And again, I'm, I'm not telling you that you need to spend all your time with non-believers. Okay? But we need to spend enough time with non-believers so they can see the light that's in us. And you need to be giving out so that what you have on the inside doesn't become stale and suppressed and pushed down and frustrating. And you, sometimes you can be frustrated because your head's about to pop because you got so much knowledge up here and you're not doing anything with it. Right? So I'm just here, and you'll see me here every Wednesday night with a smile on my face talking about the lost. The story in... in Luke 15 is a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And all of them, all of them, Jesus comes back and he reaffirms the importance of what I was sharing with you tonight. He said in verse 7, at the end of the sheep story, he said, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sheep repenting and coming back coming to a place of repentance in other words you can say salvation or deliverance or being freed than all the 99 so if we go after the one then all the 99 is going to be happy Amen. right <laughs> all the 99s are going to be full or, or and filled and and fulfilled and happy and all those good things that we want to be amen Father, tonight, I thank you.